I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book-related, author-related, any new releases or events going on in the book community. We talk about my own current reads and book recommendations and discuss one half of our monthly book club pick, which this month is The Seven-Year Slip by Ashley Poston. I hope you all had a fantastic two weeks and a fantastic end to your July, and it's mind-blowing to me that we're already in August. Um, First of all, let's discuss the elephant in the room, which is my voice. I'm sure it's going to be incredibly hard for you guys to listen to it throughout this whole episode, so I'm really sorry, but it is nearly gone. Like, I'm very afraid I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning with absolutely no voice. I'm recording this actually just on Sunday, August 6th, so the day before it goes live, so I'll have some editing to do this evening, but um, I've just been super busy, and we're actually getting construction done around our apartment building, so Monday through Friday, it is literally a construction zone. It is so hard to record. I get out at three o'clock on Fridays, which is when I typically like to record this, but it was so loud and I knew it wasn't possible. And then last night I went to a um, Chicks concert with my mom. So previously called the Dixie Chicks. It was just now the Chicks. Um, And all week long, like either Monday or Tuesday, this started happening. Like I got a frog in my throat. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night with just like this terrible tickle. I feel completely fine. Otherwise, I really think a lot of it has to do with allergies, but my voice wasn't like 100% all week. And then last night at the concert, we were screaming and singing and laughing so hard that any of that, all of that just came right back. And I woke up this morning and my voice is pretty much gone. So this is going to be a struggle to get through for me to record, but I want to make sure I can get it up for everyone because we're all right in the middle right now of Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, So I want to get that up so you can all listen to it. And I just don't want to get behind, honestly. So if you guys can put up with it, um, we're going to get through it. I have a lot to talk about. So I'm just going to get right into all the reading stuff and we'll go from there. So I hope you all had some fantastic reads this month. I know I did. So even though we've already discussed the vast majority of them, I'm going to give you guys a brief rundown of what I did read this month and what I rated it so you can either add it to your TBR or you can just outright avoid it. So the first book I read this month was Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang, and I rated this somewhere between a 3.5 and a 4. Um, 
now looking back on it, I always talk about this. I think it's leaning more towards like 3.5. It's just really not sticking out to me in general. I think the plot was really unique and enthralling, but I just don't think it stands out. The characters were just really hard to get behind and it was a pretty sad story overall. The next book I read was The Dinner by Herman Koch. This was a solid two if I'm being generous. Simply avoid it unless you like insufferable characters and a plot that does nothing before 100 pages. Obviously, this is just my opinion and I'm sorry if you really enjoyed it, but it just wasn't for me. Side note, so I did a book sale on my Instagram this week and I'm still looking to sell quite a few books. And I'm mostly selling books that have been sitting on my TBR for a really, really long time. Um that I just don't think I'm going to get to that aren't, you know, calling my name like they maybe used to, or books that I've read that I don't feel like I need to hold on to. Maybe I have like a second copy, which I end up doing a lot, or it was like just not, nothing that would like be revolutionary, but I know a lot of other people would love. And I put the um, the dinner up there and someone messaged me, I'm laughing so hard at how fast you want to get rid of this book. And I'm like, very true. I immediately closed it and was like, I do not need it in my collection at all. So you guys know me very well. But um, side note again, all of those books are still listed on my Instagram if you're interested. Shipping is included. So I had to raise the price like more than I would have wanted. But um, it's anywhere from like $8 to $13, um, including the price of shipping. So um, decent deals for some of the books, especially the hardcovers, I think. Um, so they're all saved under a highlight under my Instagram. My Instagram is at Grace's Reading Nook. They're saved under the highlight book sale, and they're going to stay up there until they're sold. So if you see a book there that you might like, um, just DM me. I can always do a better price as well. And if you want to buy two or more books, I can definitely do a bundle rate of some kind. Um, so I don't want you to have to be paying for shipping twice. Um, so just DM me and let me know, but they're all going to be there until they're gone. So super little fun thing going on there. The next book I read was Dead 11 by Jimmy Giuliano. I have sung this book's praises all month long, I think. So um, don't need to harp on it too, too much. But it is just so incredibly spooky and unique and fun. A solid five star read for me. If you haven't heard much about the synopsis, I've said this before, don't go into this book truly as blind as you possibly can. And trust me, if you're a horror fan or, you know, a mystery fan, you're not going to be disappointed. And don't worry, I personally didn't think it was anything too, too scary. Next up was Mrs. Nash's Ashes by Sarah Adler, which was fantastically another five-star read for me. Um, it was simply delightful, like one of the more perfect romances I've read this year. It was a classic perfect definition of grumpy sunshine done really, really well. Um, a perfect amount of steam that you don't have to wait until like 75% for witty banter that is so relatable. You're going to find yourself giggling and doesn't have like a massive miscommunication trope either. And I can't wait to read more from Sarah Adler. I talk about some new book releases coming up later in today's episode and I didn't include hers, but she has a new one coming out called, I believe, Happy Medium. Does that sound right? I think so. So super excited to read that from her. Um, I think she's going to be a really big emerging romance author coming up here. Of course, I read The Only One Left by Riley Sager. That was our July book club pick this month, which I rated a solid four, um, 3.75 four. It just knocked a few little points off there for that crazy ending. If you haven't listened to the two episodes I put out in July, the first episode will take you up to chapter 24 and episode two for July finishes out the book. So if any chance you want to read that at any point, you can definitely go back and listen to those two episodes. And I always have in the timestamps where we start our discussion for the book of the month. Um, so you don't have to listen to all the other other stuff at the beginning if you don't want to. Um, so in a recap, I did enjoy the ride of this one and really thought it had a lot of great twists and turns. And I enjoyed the characters and really not knowing who to trust. But that ending nearly gave me whiplash. I won't get into it to avoid spoilers just in case you still have it on your TBR. But yeah, the ending was just not for me. But overall, I would recommend it for Riley Sager. It went up pretty high on my author ranking for him. In the last book I read this month was Hurricane Girl by Marcy Germanski. And this is the only one that I haven't talked about yet on the podcast. And I just finished it um, last week. It's a super short book. This was actually my first Marcy Germanski book, but it most definitely will not be my last. 
super short. I read it in just a couple of sittings and truly for me, the writing was just impeccable and it was definitely the best part of this, um, of the whole book. It's about a script writer who breaks up with her Hollywood producer boyfriend and on a whim buys a house by the ocean in North Carolina and it's her dream house and she absolutely loves to swim, which is a huge theme throughout the book. So it's perfect for her. Not spoiling anything. This is right on the back of the book and literally happens in the first page. Um, basically, one week after she moves in, a giant hurricane comes and wipes her whole house away and truly with it all of her dreams. So some chaos that ensues that I don't want to spoil for you all because it's super shocking. And she ends up reuniting with an old flame from college. That's all I'm going to get into because it's just go into it as blind as you possibly can and just know that brief synopsis. Um, but the writing in this is just so dry. It's so right up my alley. It's so hilarious. Um, and I also found it really easy to relate to as someone in her late 20s. That's me trying to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life, just like our main character was in this. It was really hilarious, heartbreaking, totally bingeable for me. And it was five stars. So I had three five star reads this month, which is really, really incredible for me. That does not happen very often. Um, so I'm really happy with July's reading. Taking all of that in consideration... I would say my favorite book of July 2023 is Dead 11 by Jimmy Giuliano. For me, it's the most unique of the bunch. The story and the writing was just like completely entrancing. And I'm just really a sucker for a good horror story or mystery in general. Um, and I haven't really found one that I've fallen in love with recently except for this. Um, I will give second place to Hurricane Girl and a tight third place to Mrs. Nash's Ashes. And all in all, it was just a fantastic reading month. Next, I want to talk about some news that came out in the book world over the past two weeks. We have a new Stacey Willingham book. We have a new Mary Kubica book, a new Emily Henry book, and the cover for The Women by Kristen Hanna was revealed. Those are my top four, um, but I'm sure there are plenty that I've missed. And I probably even talked about on my bookstagram. So as I always say, be following me there if you're not already. I'm going to, I always just talk about new releases and things that are coming out there all the time, but those are my top four. But first I want to talk about Stacey Willingham's new book titled Only If You're Lucky. So um, if you've been a follower this whole year, we read Stacey Willingham's book, All the Dangerous Things for the Podcast. God, I can't remember the month now, but earlier this year, it was either March or April. Um, and to me, it was truly a perfect thriller. I absolutely loved her book, A Flicker in the Dark, as well. So just basing it off of those two things, she's definitely one of my favorite thriller authors. So I cannot wait to get this one and get my hands on it. This is looking like it's going to be a bit of a dark academia vibe, which I love personally, and I know so many of you love as well. This is going to follow the story of Lucy Sharp, who meets a girl named Margot during, during their freshman year at a small liberal arts college in South Carolina. Margot is shy, while Lucy is larger than life. Margot winds up living with three girls in an off-campus house, and all four girls couldn't be more opposite. So just reading that, I was like, this is truly giving White Houses by Vanessa Carlton vibes. I don't know what it is. That song is like, ugh, there's something in that song. If you guys know what I'm talking about, I am so obsessed with White Horses by Vanessa Carlton. It's like kind of sick. I just think it's it's not it's not that bad. But I have been listening to it a lot this summer and it's just such a vibe. Um, so this is giving that, which I'm so, so in for. Um, I didn't want to read too, too much more of the synopsis. Um, because I want to mostly have it be left as a surprise, especially for a thriller. But staying with thriller, I am thrilled with this one. It's coming out in January of 2024. Um, mark your calendars. I know so many people are going to be super excited about it. Next, we have Mary Kubica's new book, which she actually teased to us when she was on the podcast when she came on to discuss the first ever one woman book club book, Just the Nicest Couple. So I personally feel like we were in the know on this one, which is super duper cool. This one is called She's Not Sorry, and it follows an ICU nurse as she uncovers a patient's chilling secret. The patient came in with a traumatic brain injury after jumping from a bridge, but miraculously survived. But as more details start to come out, questions start being asked about if the patient actually jumped or if she was pushed and by whom. It sounds super interesting. 
And you know, it's Mary Cubica, so it's going to be full of twists and turns. I was also lucky enough to receive the prologue, a sneak peek, um, this past week. And what I will say is there's going to be like a whole other plot that goes on with this one. It's definitely going to be more than meets the eye. I don't want to give anything away too, too much. But basically, the main character, the ICU nurse, her daughter is like involved in a kidnapping. And so she's having to deal with that at the same time. Just from the prologue, that's what we get. I don't know if that's going to be like a dream she has or something, but super duper spooky. And um, it's going to be released April of 2024. So definitely let's keep it on our radar. We could even have Mary back on if you wanted to put that as a one woman book club book for the month. So just keep that on your radar. Next, and a surprise to no one, what I'm most looking forward to is Emily Henry's new book called Funny Story coming out in April of 2024. So two amazing April books coming our way. Um, could not be more excited. I would say Emily Henry is one of my top five favorite authors like hands down. I truly love everything she comes out with. So I am just thrilled. I was looking at an article published from the Today Show and Emily Henry said that funny story is her personal breath of fresh air. And then she went on to say, which makes me love her even more, to quote the great American poet Taylor Allison Swift, it was the breeze in my hair on the weekend, dead. I've also seen her posting that her friends have been reading it and that they think the book boyfriend in Funny Story is her best yet. I don't know who could ever top Gus or win, but I am ready to see. It goes on to say, according to the forthcoming novel synopsis by Penguin Random House, Funny Story follows a woman named Daphne whose fiance leaves her for his childhood best friend. In a bemusing twist of fate, Daphne becomes roommates with Miles. Love the name Miles, Miles Teller. Anyway, who is the aforementioned childhood best friend's ex-boyfriend? Sounds right up my alley. I love a good fake dating scheme, which it seems like we're going to get anything Emily Henry, anything Emily Henry writes, I will read and I could not be more excited about this one. Also, briefly, the cover for Kristen Hanna's new book, The Women, was released, and I will most likely be talking about every little thing that gets released about this book until it comes out. So another new milestone. This is going to be released February 6th of 2024, which isn't too far away. I'm so super excited. We have a beautiful red cover. It just looks amazing. I would do anything to get an advanced reader copy of this book. So I am shamelessly asking you all to message Macmillan to somehow get me one. <laughs> um, not really, but I know a lot of people got their hands on a neck galley of this. I know it's crazy, but I don't do neck galley and I absolutely should to be able to get new releases. Um, but I'm a physical book gal. I don't have a Kindle, so it's a little bit hard for me to read eBooks. Um, but maybe that's a goal for me for 2024 is to get on NetGalley because I would love to be reading the women right now. And that's all for book news. I want to talk about new releases for August that I think should be on your radar next. The number one book that is on my August radar is called Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. Acevedo. I know that she's a YA author and I believe this is her first delve into adult fiction. Um, there's just something about this cover that is really pulling me in and I really just want to learn more. So it's a fiction book where the main character has a gift where she predicts to the day when someone will die. Because of this, she decides she wants a living wake, which is a party to bring her family and the community together to celebrate the long life she's led. Sounds so good. That's really all I know about it. Personally, like as I read more and more books. I try to read less and less of the synopsis because I kind of want to go in as blind as possible. Sounds so good. I'm really interested in learning more. It'll be easy to do because I picked it as one of my book of the month choices for August, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. Next, I've talked about this book a lot on the podcast because I've really enjoyed it. It's The Connellys of County Down by Tracy Lang. I know that was a book of the month choice for last month, but if you still haven't picked up on it yet, or if you still haven't picked it up yet, it comes out this month. If you're interested in stories that unpack a lot of family drama, are told from multiple points of view, so there's always someone to relate to, and involve a bit of mystery, I think you'll really enjoy this book. It would make a fantastic movie, and personally at this point, I will just read anything that Tracy Lang writes. And Pat Chat has a new book coming out this month called Tom Lake. I have actually, embarrassingly enough, never read an Anne Patchett book, or Pachette, I think it's Ann Patchett. Anyway, I know that she would be right up my alley. So I'm dying to read this one. But I'm also dying to read The Dutch House in November. Because I've heard for some reason that one's like the perfect November read. I don't know if it gets into like Thanksgiving or something. But it's on my radar for fall. 
So Tom Lake by Ann Patchett looks absolutely stunning. The cover is like so beautiful. It's about a mother who travels to her family's orchard in northern Michigan with her three daughters in 2020. So side note, there's probably going to be talks of COVID, which I know turns off um, a lot of readers. I don't personally mind it, but it's just something to keep in mind if you want to avoid that sort of thing. As her and her daughters connect more, she starts to tell them about a romance she had at a theater company called Tom Lake when she was young. So we have a theater, we have love, we have family relationships, a beautiful setting. I am truly all in. Like, give me theater and give me romance, and I am a very happy girl. So super excited to get my hands on that one. Next, we have The Breakaway by Jennifer Weiner. Again, don't hate me. I have never read a Jennifer Weiner book, but I know that she is a fantastic author. This follows a main character named Abby, who seems like she's finally at a good place in her life. Then she gets asked to lead a cycling trip from NYC to Niagara Falls, and she's about to enter the trip of a lifetime. There seems to be a lot of romance involved and overall seems like a really feel-good read. The last book I want to put on all of your radar, which I'm sure it already is, is None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, which most likely won't be a feel-good book like um, The Breakaway, but it's sure to be thrilling. I am definitely a Lisa Jewell fan, so I'm definitely going to be picking this one up at some point. However, not to turn you all off. This one is another thriller involving a podcaster, which I know, hypocritical, coming from me, who's literally podcasting right now. But it keeps coming up in thrillers, and I'm just not sure if I'm a fan. I was happy when it was The Book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James. Then we also had a podcaster in All the Dangerous Things, um, which I still loved. But it felt new and fresh back then, but now it's just getting a bit old, but I'm still going to give it a fair chance. This one follows the story of Josie and Alex who run into each other at a pub one day and find out that they're both celebrating their 45th birthday. Then a few days later, they bump into each other again at Alex's children's school. I didn't want to read too, too much more, but it seems like these two women's lives are somehow intertwined and I'm sure we're going to find out why. So overall, we have some fantastic new releases this month that I hope are all exciting to you guys. Um, super fun, super fun reading month. I also, a new Barnes and Noble opened near me. I live in Portland, Maine, if you didn't know. We don't really have one too, too close. Um, Augusta, it's about like an hour, a little over an hour away. And then in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, another hour and a half away. Those are our two Barnes and Noble. So we actually just had one open in Brunswick, which is only about 30 minutes from me. So I'm super excited. So I've been buying a lot of books in the, this past two weeks. So I'm talk about my book of the month in just a second, but I'm just going to briefly give a rundown. I got five books at Barnes & Noble with my Christmas gift cards that I've been holding on to, so be proud of me. I got Cleopatra and Frankenstein by Coco Malores, You Are Here by Karen Lynn Greenberg, um, The Guest by Emma Klein, I got The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donoghue, and I got Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. So I'm just really pumped about all of those and can't wait to read them. And I also can't wait to read my book of the month for August. We had a fantastic book of the month month for August. And I finally, finally took advantage of the five book box ability. And I am so happy. So I'm going to start with the two books that I've had in my cart for a while on book of the month that are recent add-ons. First Little Monsters by Adrian Brodeur and The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer. Little Monsters was chosen as one of Jeanette McCurdy's book club picks. And to be completely honest, the cover alone is drawing me in, as are all of the choices for this month and the ones that I picked up at Barnes & Noble. Um, I've been told by a few people that they think this book will be right up my alley, so I'm very excited about it. We have a setting of Cape Cod and a patriarch of a family facing his own mortality and a big secret. We have two children with lives of their own, with strained relationships, all coming to Cape Cod to be together. I'm a sucker for a literary fiction book with complicated family relationships, so I know I'm going to love this one. I actually started this yesterday. I'm about 30 pages in. And the characters, except for one, so far are kind of annoying to me, so I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm excited about it anyway. Um, I can get past an unlikable character as long as there's at least one that can save it for me. 
Next, I picked up The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer. This has been getting rave reviews left and right, and it's been one I really regretted not picking up in my June box, so I'm so excited to finally get my hands on it. I know I've already discussed it, but briefly, this is the story of Lucy, who finds her solace in the Clock Island series of books by Jack Masterson. She's now 26 years old and sharing her love of reading with her students, especially seven-year-old Christopher, who was left orphaned when both of his parents tried died. Lucy wants to adopt Christopher, but doesn't have the funds. That's given Matilda vibes, which I'm loving. And then when Lucy is about to give up, Jack Masterson, the author, announces he's written a new book and is holding a contest at his home on Clock Island, where Lucy is one of the four lucky contestants chosen to compete to win the one and only copy. I love books about books, and this story just seems so full of magic and fun. And I cannot wait to read it. I'm so happy I finally have my hands on it. Now let's get on to the main selection for August, of which I chose three. If you're new to Book of the Month, it is a book subscription service that allows you to choose up to five books per month, which are hand chosen by an editorial team and filled with books of every genre, most being new releases or even books that haven't been released to the public yet. August is a fantastic month to join because I feel like they have a little something for everyone. And I know those of you who listen to this podcast share my taste in books, and I am thrilled about all of these. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So if you haven't joined and want to do so and choose one of these main five books, head on over to my Instagram, Grace's Reading Nook, click the link in my bio to access my link tree and choose the book of the month link. There you'll sign up for book of the month and be able to get one of these amazing new books for just $5. When a typical new release hardcover is close to 30, trust me, I know I spent a pretty penny still at Barnes and Noble this week. And I promise you will be as addicted to it as I am. And no, that is not sponsored, but I would love it to be one day. So the first book I got this month, I already mentioned earlier, that is Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo, and I am so excited to read it. Next, I got Shark Heart by Emily Habeck. Once again, the cover for all of these books are incredible, and Shark Heart is no different. This book tackles the tough subject of the complexities of your first year of marriage, but puts a very unique spin on it. The husband in the story is slowly turning into a great white shark. I know, sounds crazy, but I love magical realism, and I think this book is about to have the perfect amount. I personally, again, I've said this a lot this episode, I don't want to even read too, too much more about it than that, because that sentence alone should be enough to pull you in as it was for me. Lastly, I got Happiness Falls by Angie Kim, which is a new book to me. The blurb about this one on Penguin's website says, when a father goes missing, his family's desperate search leads them to question everything they know about him and one another in this thrilling page turner, a deeply moving portrait of a family in crisis. The first line of this book is, we didn't call the police right away, which I feel just completely sucks you in. So I'm very thrilled to have that one in my collection and read it very soon. 
Then there were three other choices, all of them incredible. First, None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, which I've already discussed. I think that's going to be the hard hitter this month. I feel like everyone got that one. I'm a little bit sad I didn't. I almost did, but I just realized I'm really not in the mood for a thriller right now. Uh, I'm trying to save a lot of them for spooky season coming up, and I just feel like I've read so, so many recently and just like in my book journey in general that I can just so easily predict twists recently that I just really need to give myself a break. However, I know it's going to be really popular, and that's definitely all the reason to scoop it up, and I'm dying to hear and start reading the reviews for it. Then we have two more new-to-me books, The Many Lives of Mama Love, which is a memoir, and Vampires of Al Nort. Norte. Oh, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, which is a horror. The Many Lives of Mama Love is getting great attention so far. It sounds incredible. It honestly, if I could have had more in my box, I probably would have added this one on too. This is about a woman who is struggling with a heroin addiction. And in order to pay for her drugs, she's stealing her neighbor's credit cards. She ends up in jail with 32 felonies. And this is her story. I'm so excited to see more reviews come in for this one because I think I'll end up picking it up soon. And then lastly, we have Vampires of El Norte. On Book of the Month, it says, as the daughter of a rancher in 1840s Mexico, Nina knows a thing or two about monsters. Her home has long been threatened by tensions with Anglo settlers from the north. But something more sinister lurks near the ranch at night, something that drains men of their blood and leaves them for dead, something that once attacked Nina nine years ago. Believing Nina dead, Nestor has been on the run from his grief ever since, moving from ranch to ranch working as a vaquero. But no amount of drink can dispel the night terrors of sharp teeth. No woman can erase his childhood sweetheart from his mind. So we're getting some horror, some romance, and I just know this one is going to be good. We've also got a few great add-ons as well, so you literally can't go wrong with whatever you end up choosing, and I hope you'll all be able to get your hands on a new book this month. Last but certainly not least before getting into the seven-year slip, we've got a lot of book content today, which I hope you guys are enjoying. Let's discuss our three book clubs. Reese from Reese's Book Club has chosen Tom Blake by Anne Patchett, which I've already discussed and one I'm dying to read. Read with Jenna has picked Summer Sisters by Judy Bloom, which is celebrating his 25th anniversary. Jenna did something similar when she picked The Great History by Donna Tartt earlier this year. And I'm personally not sure if I love it or don't like it that she does that, but let me know your input. I've actually never heard of Summer Sisters, but I do love Judy Bloom. Love Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Um, so brief synopsis here. In this book, it's the summer of 1977, and Victoria's world changes forever when Caitlin chooses her as a friend. Dazzling, reckless Caitlin welcomes Vic into the heart of her sprawling, eccentric family, opening doors to a world of unimaginable privilege, sweeping her away to vacations on Martha's Vineyard, an enchanting place where the two friends become summer sisters. Now, years later, Vix is working in NYC, and Caitlin is getting married on the vineyard, and the magic of their long, complicated friendship has faded. But Caitlin begs Vix to come to her wedding to be her maid of honor, and Vix knows that she will go because she wants to understand what happened during that last shattering summer. And after all these years, she needs to know why her best friend, her summer sister, still has the power to break her heart. So immediately adding that to my TBR sounds right up my alley. Jenna said it is a beach read, but it's definitely not an easy read, which is right up my alley. Lastly, Good Morning America picked Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo, which is clearly, clearly, clearly a hot pick for everyone this month, and I'm dying to dig into it. And... After a long, long discussion of 31 minutes, I hope you all enjoyed it. I think that wraps up our monthly duties for the beginning of August. I hope you all have some new books on your radar. Um, but now let's just dig on in to our first discussion for our August book club pick, The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. For today's episode, you should have read up to chapter 22. If you have not read up to chapter 22, close this podcast out until you listen to it because we will be discussing some outright spoilers. If you don't care about spoilers and want to listen along anyway, feel free to do that. I don't know why you would, but you absolutely can. Um, and we're just going to get into it with my chapter by chapter breakdown of what I'm thinking about this book so far. Okay, guys, I am loving it so far. I think it is so, so good. Um, I don't know if any of you are actually physically holding the book like I am as you're reading, but there's something about it, like the feel of this book. I have the paperback. I'm really, really enjoying it. I think it's super, just feels good in my hands. Love the font. I know that's very superficial, but 
it's something I'm enjoying. So if you do have the paperback version, I hope you're all enjoying it too. So first off, we have the beginning. What a magical opening to start this book. This is my first Ashley Poston book, and I can already tell I love her writing style, and I love how she describes the apartment, and I'm just immediately transported into her aunt's world, and I'm actually just going to read a little bit about how she described the apartment because I felt like it was just so, so beautiful. My aunt lived in a century-old building on the Upper East Side with stone lions on the eaves, half-broken and clinging to the corners. Everything about it was magical, the way the light poured into the kitchen in the mornings, golden like egg yolk, the way the study seemed to fit more books than possible, pouring off the shelves and piled against the far window, so high they almost blocked out all the light. I charted foreign maps in the brick face of the far living room wall, the bathroom with its perfect high window and frosted glass that reflected rainbows against the sky-colored walls and ornate clawfoot tub was the perfect place to paint. My watercolors came alive there, pigments dripping from my brushes as I imagined far-off places I'd never been. And in the evenings, the moon looked so close from her bedroom windows I could almost catch it. The apartment was indeed magical. You couldn't convince me otherwise. And then it just goes on to how her aunt actually says it was magical. I just think that was so beautiful. And that writing, I'll talk about this a lot. It was one of the main things that I picked up on as I was reading. The reading is absolutely, the writing, the reading, sorry. The writing, it's the writing is absolutely insane. I love it. Chapter one, um, I'm going to read it again. I said another amazing intro paragraph about Clementine's aunt's favorite things and ways of life that I just, I want to read it aloud again because it's so magical. I just think it's so, so good. So I'm going to read the first paragraph here too. My aunt used to say, if you don't fit in, fool everyone until you do. She also said to keep your passport renewed. If you all followed my saga from back before my trip to Punta Cana, you know how much I believe in keeping your passport renewed now. Anyway, <laughs> to pair red wines with meats and whites with everything else, to find work that is fulfilling to your heart as well as your head, to never forget to fall in love wherever you can because love is nothing if not a matter of timing, and to chase the moon, always, always chase the moon. It must have worked for her because never mattered to her where she was in the world, she was home. She waltzed through life like she belonged at every party she was never invited to, fell in love with every lonely heart she found, and found luck in every adventure. She had that air about her. Tourists asked her for directions when she went abroad. Servers asked her opinion on wines and fine whiskeys. Celebrities asked her about her life. I just think the way that she's starting this book, like, immediately sucks us into this world and makes us love her aunt so much and makes us love this apartment so much. And it's just such a unique way of doing it, but just spot on, like, amazing writer. So we get a lot of background information in this first chapter. Unfortunately, Clementine's aunt has died and she inherited the apartment, but of course it does not feel the same without her. Six months after her death, she is still reeling, which is totally fair. She just broke up with her boyfriend of three months, Nate, and she doesn't believe she's ever been in love and actually doesn't know what it feels like. I'm sure that's going to change. <laughs> she had lunch with her best friends and co-workers, Drew and Fiona, who are married with a baby on the way, and I love their banter together. I also love, which is another recurring theme here, all of the food descriptions This um, in the restaurant that they're in sounds amazing. Love goat cheese, so I'm sure I'd love the fried goat cheese balls. And I have a feeling the head chef Clem bumped into is going to be our love interest. So I think we're going to get a lot more yummy food to read about. And I was correct. I also love all the girls work at the publishing house because it's such a cool job and one that I definitely envy. Chapter two, I said, if I wasn't envious about the publishing company before, I am now. I absolutely loved her descriptions of the beautiful office overflowing with books, what an absolute dream to be able to work with authors and work on book campaigns. That would truly be incredible. Then we get the news that Clementine's amazing boss, Rhonda, who's the director of marketing and publicity, is retiring and she wants to put Clementine up for the position. This is obviously her dream job, but obviously, again, it's a lot to take in. I remember personally at my previous job, my boss told me, that she was going to be taking on a higher position and I wouldn't be directly reporting to her anymore. And I was very sad. Um, we had such an amazing relationship and she's someone that I still miss. So I definitely get her feelings on Rhonda's departure there. Rhonda also rescinded Clementine's canceled request for vacation time. So it looks like Clementine is going to be taking a vacation somewhere, which I actually forgot about as I continued reading this um, 
half. So excited about that um, possibility. Then I have notes for chapters three, four, and five, and a lot's happened in this little chunk. And I wanted to learn more about the seven year slip to get all my thoughts down before I chatted about it. Clementine calls her parents on her walk home that day and their relationship seems very sweet. Her aunt Anelia was her mom's sister. When she gets home, she's exhausted and falls asleep on the couch. And when she wakes up, there is a man in her apartment and all of her aunt's things are back. Things that she personally packed away that shouldn't be there, including the Robin's egg blue chair, which I want. It sounds so intriguing. And specifically a calendar that is seven years old. And the man in the apartment says he got permission from Analia to stay there because she was in Norway with Clementine. And also the man is the head chef from the restaurant restaurant and his name is Ewan. I think it's Ewan, like Ewan McGregor. So Ewan, kind of an odd name and going to be, and Clementine is tough for me too, but it's Ewan. This is all clearly, obviously too much for Clem. And even though she knew about the slip because her aunt has told her, she walks out of the apartment to get some fresh air. On her walk, we learn more about how she knew about the slip. So she reminisces on how her aunt told her when she was eight about the magic of the apartment and about the night she first met Vera. She was clearly immediately shocked that her new empty apartment was now fully furnished and had a woman inside. But Vera also told her about the slip and how the apartment could magically transform into seven years in the future or past. The two quickly fell in love in bursts whenever the apartment decided to show its magic. When Analia tried to find Vera in the present day, they both realized they wanted different things. Analia wanted to travel the world and Vera wanted a family and they both got the lives they wanted despite not having each other. Then Analia created two rules for the apartment. Take your shoes off when you walk in and never fall in love in the apartment. I love this magical realism aspect, even though we know it's going to hurt. It's giving me about time vibes. If you guys have seen that movie, do not watch it unless you're in the mood to cry your eyes out. It is a sob fest, but I love it. Regardless, I want to know more about Ewan and how he exists outside of the apartment. I just had a thought. Clem said when she bumped into him at the restaurant without knowing it was him, he looked like he recognized her. That would make sense because for him, it's seven years in the future for when he's meeting her in the apartment, while for Clem, it's seven years in the past. It's very, very intriguing, obviously, but for me, I don't know if I'm just, it's hard for me, but slightly difficult to wrap my head around. I'm sure I'll get used to it though. Chapter six and seven, she reluctantly agrees to let Ewan from seven years in the past stay in her apartment. Thus begins a love affair that I cannot wait to read more of. Ewan is incredibly sexy dicing vegetables in the kitchen. Is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. I love a man who can cook. As he tells her about who he is, he, you know, he dropped out of college to join the Culinary Institute of America and is currently trying to get a job as a dishwasher at the fancy restaurant Clementine was just at. Little does he know in seven years, he'll be the head chef. Clem doesn't reveal too much about herself because she feels like the part of herself that goes gallivanting across the world with her aunt isn't the real her, that instead she's the hardworking woman in publishing. To me, she sounds like a Capricorn and that is coming from a fellow Capricorn. So I feel you, girl. I did catch something that I'm sure a lot of you also did, but he calls her Lemon because Lemon is in the middle of Clementine. And earlier in chapter one, when he went to bring the dessert to their table, um, he says Lemon. And we were made to think that it's because they ordered the Lemon dessert. But really, he's calling her Lemon because it's his nickname for her. And I can't take it. I feel like that is just so cute. And did he put a lemon dessert on the menu because of her? Loving it. Chapters eight and nine, we have a beautiful meal made by Ewan that I am now seriously craving. My go-to order at Mexican restaurants is fajitas, and this sounds right up my alley. I love how good of a listener Ewan is and how he's getting Clementine to open up about why she's in the publishing industry in the first place. We learn that Ewan's grandfather is the one who got him interested in cooking by taking him to a fancy restaurant when he was young, but unfortunately he's passed away from dementia. Then the woman upstairs is playing music and Ewan asks Clem for a dance. She hesitantly agrees. She's clearly very into him, but trying to fight it for many reasons. Number one being her aunt's second rule, don't fall in love in the apartment. Then we have a classic romance trope coming into play rather fast one bed. If you had one bed on your bingo card, you got bingo so, so quickly. 
After much hesitation and even trying to leave and re-enter the apartment, Clem decides she'll sleep in the bed with Ewan because they're both adults after all. Duh. <laughs> I, um, I'm really loving all the food references, like I said before. It's like the food they're describing is like another character in this world. And Ashley Poston is describing it with such delicious language. You seriously need a good snack while reading. Chapters 10, 11, and 12. Should I just start calling Clementine Lemon? I don't like Clem because it sounds like phlegm, but I typed these notes and I said I hate fully typing out Clementine and Lemon is cute. So I don't know. We're going to see what sticks as I'm as I'm talking. So Clemmy, <laughs> trying a new one, decides she's going to paint in the bathtub with her watercolors, which she hasn't done in forever since Nate wanted to monetize on her paintings. But it's making her relax and feel more connected to who she was before her aunt died. Then she draws a bath and falls asleep in it, which is very dangerous. Do not recommend, but does sound amazing. I used to love taking bubble baths every night, but I don't have a good tub for it in my apartment anymore. So I can't wait to move and have one again. It's like my favorite thing. Anyway, Ewan comes home and he's cooking again, but instead it is dessert this time. And ding, 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 we were correct. It is the fancy restaurant lemon pie that they ordered in chapter one which speaking of, he had an interview for and was one of 26 hopefuls for the dishwashing job. I also realized that restaurant is the one his grandfather had taken him to, which is very, very sweet. They have frozen pizza and have more delightful banter. Their banter is very realistic and very sweet. Then we have a kiss. I was giddy during this part, you guys. So sweet and romantic and sexy. And personally, I've never read a steamy scene written like this so beautiful, honestly, and just like full of emotion. But Clementine gets afraid and asks him to stop for now, which he is very willing to do, very respectful. She knows that she can't fall in love like her aunt did with Vera. And I am saying, why not? He's clearly doing great at the restaurant. Who's to say it wouldn't work out now? But I understand it's a tough spot for her to be in. I will say I'm fully digging the writing just in general. It's transcending for me what normal romances are. And it's almost hard to put the book down and write about how much I'm enjoying it. Because if you're reading it too, there's a high chance you're also finding the writing incredibly charming, but also deep and not superfluous like some romances are. It's just very, very spot on. And I'm really impressed with Ashley Poston and how she's describing everything. That's like my overarching theme right here. Chapter 13, a quick note, I'm realizing she does not know that the man she bumped into at the restaurant is Ewan, which makes everything kind of make a lot more sense. Of course, she wants to know where he is now and why she's hesitant about moving forward with him. She knows it's the head chef from Drew and Fiona, but that's it. So I have a feeling Clementine's head is about to get a little wonky with all of this Ewan drama, um, but she's already missing some cues at work and she's really not up and she's up for that big promotion. So things are going to get a little dicey, I feel like. Chapters 14, 15, and 16. When Clementine goes back to the apartment that night, ready to see Ewan, the apartment has changed and he is gone. She tried opening and closing the door multiple times, but he does not return. So she's back in the present and it doesn't look like he is coming back anytime soon. So the summer goes by and she goes on a date with a guy Fiona likes, but nothing sticks. And she's still, of course, thinking about Ewan. Then I completely forgot that Drew, and I have not mentioned this, that Drew wanted to get him to publish a cookbook with them, and that's coming back into play here. So they're going to have a big meeting, and Clementine is heading it up because if they don't get him for their publishing house, the company is in desperate trouble. So they're about to meet in the present, and I need to know what happens, except he's not going by Ewan, he's going by James Ashton. When is Clem going to figure out it's him? Then I was just speed reading you guys and I took notes on everything up to chapter 22. My last question is immediately answered when Clementine reads um, Ewan's Eater article and realizes that it's him. So she clearly becomes panicked but puts together a great plan for the meeting the next day. When she walks into the room, it's Ewan, of course, but it's not the Ewan she remembers. He's suddenly suave and too cool, no longer the boy with all that Southern charm that she met seven years in the past. She kept referencing that maybe he wouldn't remember her because it was just one weekend seven years ago. But of course, we all know that he's going to come back. There's no way it was just that one weekend and done. He'll be back in that apartment soon, and it's only going to make everything way more complicated. And Ewan knows that, but Clementine doesn't at this point because she's in the present and he is in the past. Super kind of confusing, but really, really cool. 
They tell Ewan and his agent the proposal and gone is the charm even from that Eater article. He wants a cool, sleek cookbook with complicated recipes. No longer does food seem to be about a memory for him. Is that because of his breakup with Clementine? What happens in the Time Warp apartment? In the end, he does recognize her and says, it was nice to see you again, Lemon. And she nearly freezes, of course. The next day, they find out that Ewan and his agent rejected their proposal after they said in the meeting that almost everyone would move on to the next round of, you know, this book deal, um, proposal situation, this quest to get this book. Um, they were all going to move on to a cooking competition. But why didn't they move on? Is it because of Lemon? They don't have the most money to offer of the other publishing houses, but still, he could have at least let them move on. And I also wanted to see the cooking competition. So I have a feeling it's coming back, but we'll have to see. It has to be something about what happens in the apartment. Does he know about the slip? Like, does Clementine tell him about the slip? Is he trying to stop them from falling in love? A disappointed lemon goes back home, and when she opens the door, just like I suspected, there is Ewan waiting for her. Now for Ewan, will it seem like she's been gone for a month or so? How is this going to work? The whole time warp thing is still a little hard for me to wrap my head around, but I have to remember it's as simple as Ewan is seven years in the past. So I'm pretty positive for him when Clementine arrives back in the present day, pretty much, it will be like she's been gone for a while. And what will her excuse be? Will she tell him about the apartment? I think she will, but just not quite yet. That was kind of a perfect place to stop at as well. She opens the door and he goes, Lemon? And like, that's where we stop for this week. So pretty perfect, but... I am so excited to read more, you guys. This book is so lovely and such a joy to read. It's an easy read, but the writing is full of emotion and intensity, and I'm really loving it, and especially Ewan's character in the past. And I'm a foodie at heart, so I'm really, really thoroughly enjoying all the food descriptions and the writing, if you could not tell. I can't wait for Clementine to bring that back out in him, the Southern charm, um, and I can't wait to see how everything plays out. Are we going to be heartbroken or happy? I almost have a feeling I might cry with this one, but I'm very excited to find out either way. Um, and that is all for today's episode. I am loving it. I'm literally about my boyfriend Noah is at a concert tonight, and I'm literally about to make a huge bowl of pasta, which is my classic girl dinner. Um, with a red sauce and cheese. Love it. Bonza pasta. Turn on the summer. I turn pretty while I eat. And then I'm going to dip on into the seven year slip. I might even, I'm picking them up later. It's just right in our town, but still. So I might be out late reading, um, which is not a problem for me. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I will be back on Monday, August 21st with a new episode, and that will be the end of The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. Um, so just read up to the end for Monday, um, August 21st episode. And I will have some questions um, for you guys on my Instagram at that time. There's a reader's guide at the back of this book, so I'm hoping there's some good questions we can discuss there. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. I know my voice was a real challenge, I'm sure, to listen to, but thank you all for bearing with me, and I cannot wait to not use my vocal cords for the rest of the night now after talking for nearly an hour. But I had so much fun and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to be following me on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook to see all of my updates in the next two weeks. And I will talk to you guys on August 21st. Have a great two weeks and talk to you then. Bye guys. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.